<laughs> Welcome to the Kid Casper Podcast. I'm your gracious, beautiful, blessed, beloved, and black host, a kid that they call Casper. The KID in Kid Casper stands for that king of development. I'm that menace with the melanin. So reject me as I am as long as he's still relevant, you know. Um, I'm a graphic designer, clothing apparel owner. Uh, I'm a, a huge advocate for tacos. I feel like tacos are the Lord's food, personally. I don't know. Um, literally how different type of food groups can come together and make a nice dish. I feel like we need to follow tacos, but you know, that could be up for debate because some people don't really feel like integration was the best thing for us. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> uh, this is going to be a very, I'm excited to say the least. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm super excited. Um, my guess this afternoon, it's about afternoon i would say it's afternoon in texas um in baltimore it's about 2 11 uh so it's not too too late but it's usually the evenings when we're here but my guess is afternoon you know this is a father this is a husband this is a fellow christian content creator youtuber um i i, I don't really know if he i know he resides in texas i don't know if he is a cowboys fan if he is we have to pray for you know the spirit of depression on him unfortunately are you a are you a cowboys fan Oh man, how does it feel that, to know that you guys haven't peaked since the '90s? That's 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 upsetting. I don't know if <laughs> I hope the Lord is still with you and your family and cover and has His hand on y'all over this time. But anyway, um, my guest this evening, um, y'all might know, um, y'all might know them or him. You know, normally when you see them on YouTube as that Christian fam, uh, Nikki and Jermaine. But I I have the um I have the king of the household with us today so if y'all could do me a favor if y'all could just um give a nice warm welcome to my brother down in texas you know what i'm saying brother jermaine how you doing today sir i'm doing well man i, I cannot complain i am a cowboys fan uh you know but you know my trust and hope is in jesus so Hey, listen, I, I will stick with my Cowboys fans to the day I die, but my hope ain't in them. So that's one thing to be happy about. I, I will say that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I, I mean, I kind of feel what you're feeling because I, you know, though I reside in Maryland, um, my folks are New York fans. So, like, you know, I have I have um, hope and prosperity of being a Yankees fan. I go through the severe depression being a Knicks and a Giants fan. Um, Rangers, oh. Rangers are kind of like that 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 girl you kind of crushing on that like kind of leaves you on red when you send them a text message. It's like hit and miss, <laughs> personally. But yeah, uh, it's um yes. Thank God that my faith is not in um a mediocre um stance, a vanity stance like a sports team. So yes, amen to that for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, man. So um, first off, I'd like to, you know, I said it to you privately, but I'd like to say, you know, publicly, thank you for accepting my invitation to share the space with me to, um, you know, break bread and bake it with me. This uh, still feels like morning time. I don't know about you. Um, it still feels like morning time to me, maybe because it was raining and I, it makes me a little sleepy, but I don't know. But, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for just lending your voice and uh, your presence on here, man. I think this is going to be super, super dope to say the least. Yeah, man, I pray that it's fruitful and somehow, some way, somebody gets something beneficial about what I say. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, before we get started into the dialogue, 
uh, this afternoon. Uh, if you could give us and the internet, you know what I'm saying, and those that are going to be listening to this or watching this at a later time, um, an elevator's pitch to who Jermaine King is, you know what I'm saying, uh, the screen is yours. Well, man, listen, I'll tell you, first and foremost, I am a follower of the way. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I love my wife and I love my children in that order. Um, I am a um, I am passionate about my faith. Um, I'm passionate about anything that I put my hands to. I'm very passionate about. So we're talking about YouTube ministry. I'm very passionate about this YouTube ministry. We're talking about loving on people. I'm very passionate about loving on people. Um, we're talking about, uh, listen, I love being a carpenter. I am a carpenter by trade. I love what I do. I do accounting by day, but my side hustle is a carpenter being a carpenter, building furniture. I love doing that as well. And, you know, really, um, my, <laughs> it's hard to honestly mention a lot of things about me without mentioning Christ. Um, because I really do look at life through a Christocentric lens. And so whatever I do, man, it's always trying to be, I'm always trying to, uh, do it unto the, the glory of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So who I am, I am a Southern dude who loves the Lord, loves his wife and wants to be the best and best father he could possibly be while, uh, preaching the gospel to the people. So that's who I am. That's who I is. I'm unapolog unapologetically Christian and I'm unapologetically black. So. I can't hear him. I can't hear you. I can't hear. I can't hear you, man. I couldn't hear anything you said after I finished speaking. See that? See that? That that just happened again, where I forgot to uh, unmute myself. But I was saying, like, I made an effort, um, especially in my faith and in my blackness, to let people know I'm unapologetically black and unashamedly Christian. So you know, those things for me are not mutually exclusive. So I appreciate that sentiment, to say the least. And thank you for letting me know. We also have a chat over here to let me know, like, hey, bro, uh, you forgot to unmute yourself uh, over here. But all goody, all goody. We we good over here, dog. Um, so yeah, my next um, and super intense question um, on this here podcast, and I don't think I've asked you before on this channel, but my super intense question is, if you had to pick a favorite Disney princess, you know what I'm saying? Uh, what Disney princess would that be today, good sir? Are we talking about Disney Plus or just straight up Disney? You can say Disney or Disney Plus. I don't really know what's on Disney Plus nowadays, so like you might know something I don't know. Um, I don't. All I know is if is if if Voltron ever gets adopted into Disney Plus, it would be Princess Alora. It will be Princess Alora from Voltron. That, that that's funny, boy. Yeah. That's some that's some yeah. that's some funny funny stuff. Um, yeah, it would that would that would be the one, Princess Alora from Voltron. Y'all can fight me if y'all want to. <laughs> I know that's right. Um, let's see. And let's see. This will let me know how much cooler you are than me, I guess. Uh, if you had to pick a starter six Pokemon set, you know what I'm saying? What starting six are we going with? 
Now, listen, bro. I told you. Now, listen. I think, yeah, because you asked me this stuff before. Bro, I never got into Pokemon. I don't know anything about Pokemon. Nothing. Nothing. Not a ting? No, not nothing. I don't even know. You know, like, I think it was like five or six some odd years ago where they was chasing ghosts and running off of mountains and people dying chasing ghosts and stuff. I, I didn't know what, what that was all about. Like, you had people out in California walk, walking off cliffs trying to catch a fake ghost. And I, I had no idea. So, uh, yeah. So, I, listen, listen, you got to come with something else other than Pokemon references because uh, I'm an 80s kid. You're a 90s baby. You're a 90s baby. And so 90s was... It, Pokemon's more around your generation. I don't, I don't fool with 94, that. but like, I feel like I was born in 84 some days, especially when it's raining like this. It's uh, No, you, no, you don't. Not, not with a Pokemon reference, you don't. I'm sorry. You got to stay in the 90s, cuz. Stay in the 90s. That That's fine. I, I ain't mad about it. It's just, um, that's just my way of communicating with the people. You know what I'm saying? But and, you know, I reference, and I reference Voltron. Do you know about Voltron? I know, uh, so Voltron, be, so because I'm a 90s kid, I know about Voltron, but we had Power Rangers. You know what I'm saying? See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what, you can't relate. So when I say Princess Alora, you're like, oh, okay. But but real Gs from the 80s know what's up with Princess Alora and Voltron. They know about Voltron. Power Rangers is demonic, bro. We don't, we don't, if you're, you're real G, if you know Voltron, but if when you start talking about Power Rangers, that's when we cut you off, cause that's when we like you know what, off with his head, <laughs> figuratively. Uh, <laughs> yeah, figuratively, that, so that, to speak. That is hilarious. Um, so yeah, man. Um, I uh, you know, one of the reasons I and I think I've talked to you about this before. One of the reasons that I, you know, came up with this. I would say like this lane in my ministry as far as like you know just being able to like break bread with people and just talk to them i want to at the end of the day make an intentional effort of humanizing people i would say you know from i started this back in 2020 um to interview different like artists and creatives i've you know become acquainted to through the years you know but then the pandemic happened uh all right and then you know we had uh ahmaud arbery brianna taylor george floyd and for me, as a disciple of Christ, I felt like I had a Romans 12 obligation to like speak to what I saw happening, considering the fact that, you know, we're not supposed to conform to the ways of this world. And yet the church was kind of silent on these things. And, you know, in this lane, I've been able to create and steward an atmosphere to just be able to just have conversations with people. Um, and just learn from them and, you know, seek to understand not to be understood. Context being my favorite color, nuance being my niche, just allowing myself to just experience like yeah. sharing a space with people and listening into other people's um, experiences. So my brother, if you could go as far back as you can remember to the 80s, you know what I'm saying? And tell me about a young Jermaine King. Uh, the screen is yours. Well, let's see, a young Jermaine King. Well, first and foremost, man, if you know, if you know about the war on drugs, bro, uh, that crack era in the eighties was real. And like, um, you know, while my parents and my mom and my daddy, of course, they never were on drugs or anything like that. Um, it was a let me let me let me back up a little bit. I, I will say this. 80s Jermaine there was a lot of fun in the 80s don't don't get it twisted it was very fun to grow up in the 80s however the 80s is still the first time I ever saw a triple beam scale 
Um, I actually saw the the war on drugs. I saw um, before the crack era hit, and then I saw after the crack era hit, and it was just like two different worlds. I saw that. Um, yeah, I mean, and honestly, um, not being in the church, not growing up in the church or anything like that, um, it, it left you with a lot of questions and less answers, if you will. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. So um, that's what uh, the 80s Jermaine was. The 80s Jermaine was, um, you know, my, my parents wasn't saved, as I just mentioned. So we were watching movies. We had no business watching at an early age. You know what I mean? Um, getting exposed to crazy stuff and trying to wrestle through those things in our minds. Like, okay, what does this mean? And, and you know what I mean? Like wild stuff, you know what I mean? And, you know, being girl crazy in the eighties, you know, I'm still girl crazy, but now I'm singular girl crazy for my wife. Praise the Lord. Um, so yeah. So anyways, so that's who I was is, is a kid, man, a fun loving kid love sports um you know all the way through high school played you know football and all that other stuff so yeah so that's who i was as a kid i don't want to be too long on that so gotcha um if i remember you if i remember correctly just from like past conversations we've had together i think you said you're originally from oklahoma if i'm not mistaken yeah born and raised oklahoma yes sir about 20 minutes on the texas state line Okay. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about like what that was like for you? Because I grew up, so I grew up in Kansas, right? I'm from Wichita, Kansas, so we're like, you know, what I'm saying I'm on the top bunk, you're on the bottom bunk. I, well, actually, I think I'm on the bottom bunk, you're on the top bunk, if I'm not mistaken. I know we're in the middle of the map, uh, as far as Kansas goes. But um, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about what life was like in Oklahoma growing up for you? Man, life was man, it was wild because I grew up in a military town because my dad was in the army, and so. What that did is that kind of shielded us away from some of the more onset racism that we could have experienced um, in any other parts of Oklahoma. Now, don't get it twisted. We still experienced some. Um, but for the most part, it was a very diverse town um, where I don't I don't know how to say it. Um, you were treated, you know, we were treated pretty well, as far as I could tell from a child's standpoint. But, um, you know, my, my wife, I'm sorry, not my wife, my mama, she, you know, she put us on game as to some things that may have been going on that we didn't understand at the time. Um, but, you know, they were still going on, but we just couldn't comprehend it being children. Um, but it was really cool, man. Um, I will say we grew up being... Um, um different from everybody like we we were the those cool kids on the block um you know two-parent household praise god and that was and yeah and that's a whole another conversation all by itself um and we love playing sports we love going doing something called herping which which is where you go catch amphibians and reptiles say, say that say that one more again you said herping yeah herping Herping, you know, so H-E-R-P-I-N-G, herping. And so we would go catch snakes and stuff. And so to this day, we still love snakes. My kids love snakes. We have a pet snake in our household, all that stuff. Uh, just grew up really country. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I was. That was our childhood. I think it was the best childhood um, that you could have, you know, growing in the South. Uh, in, in the middle, you know, middle of the country, still in the South, though. Um, 
And it was cool because we had great weather. You know, it was typically warmer uh, than it was cold. You know what I mean? And uh, it was really dope, man. I wouldn't trade my life, my uh, childhood for the world. I would not. I would not. Um, now, we did experience some racism. Um, we had something called campfire when I was a kid. And um, there were certain reasons why my parents would not let me go to campfire. Campfire was something that, you know, you would go out on the weekend with, you know, some folk who <laughs> they didn't look like you, put it that way. And they would take you camping over the weekend. And I, I told my mama, I'll just re, be real brief. Cause I talked about this on my channel uh, or our channel before. Uh, I was like, mama, I want to go to campfire. She's like, boy, you're not going to campfire. Lo and behold, you know, I had a friend, you know, who who didn't look like me. He was white. And I was like, man, listen, I want to come over your house and play. And he wanted me to come over to the house and play with his toys, you know, play with him and stuff. And so we, cool. But then like the next day he came back to school, said, you know, uh, you can't come over to my house. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and he was basically he said, well, my dad says I can't play. I can't play with, you know, N-I-G-G-R, I mean, E-R's. And uh, so, yeah. And so from that point on, the light bulb went in my head like, oh, mama. This one, my mama said I couldn't go to campfire. For gotcha. Gotcha. Didn't want me out in the woods. Uh, Yeah. And so anyway, so, yeah. So that's what it was like growing up in Oklahoma, man. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, So for me, similar experience. Uh, growing up in Kansas, I never necessarily experienced racism, but I could understand where I, I, I say it like this, like I never experienced overt racism, but I've like had to come to grips and recognize like, oh, there's still it's racism. It's just, you know, covert. You know what I'm saying? So like, I may not have like the experience of like, oh, somebody calling me the hard ER to my face. Um, but I've definitely like had to. Pick, like good. as I've gotten older, recognize like, oh, those were microaggressions. That's right. Uh, we have those <laughs> in society. So um, I didn't really experience it to a heavy, heavy level until I moved to the East Coast, which is funny. Our ancestors jumped to the Upper East Coast and experienced sometimes more brutality out here than they did in the South. I think Martin spoke to that clearly as well. But yeah, it just um, it was it was a very interesting life to growing up in Kansas to say the least, simply because it was like. There was that sense of respect to some degree, meaning like we could do life and coexist with one another in this town. However, much like with you, I don't really remember getting that invitation uh, to come over to some of my white counterparts' um, parties and stuff like that in school. Um, and then I had to grow up to recognize like, oh, 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 that that's why, that's why. So. Um, so you were in, you were in Oklahoma from, I'm guessing childhood to like, what about age? To the age of 19, uh, off and on between there and Germany, you know, spent four years in Germany, but every other, uh, year was spent in Oklahoma. Hmm, interesting. Uh, military, military affiliation by chance. Oh, not for me, but you know, my daddy, like I was saying, he was in the army. Oh, okay. And, yeah. He was in the army. Uh, I wasn't in the army, of course. Uh, but he was in the army, so that's how we ended up in this military town. They're from St. Louis, Missouri. So, you know, so that's how we got to Oklahoma, so to speak. And now all our relatives, they live in Oklahoma, too, a lot of them. So, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, man. That's interesting. That's real interesting. So um, I'm curious for you, um, and I think other people, I'm not sure if you talked about this publicly, um, 
talk to me a little bit about how you came to stepping into your faith. Uh, what was that like as far as, because I know you said you grew up in a Christian household, but one thing that's beautiful about this walk is like, you can't get into heaven with secondhand smoke. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to engage Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus on your own. Um, can you talk to me about when your faith became your own opposed to what your parents, I guess, like stewarded in the household for you? Like what did your one, what was that like for you to dedicate your life to Christ? And what did your faith look like to you growing up? Well, man, I mean, um, honestly, I didn't grow up in a, in a, uh, Christian household. I grew up in a two parent household, but it wasn't Christian. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I thought you. I, I my bad. I thought you said that your um your folks were saved. My apologies. I retract my statement. But no, no, no. They, no, they weren't like until I was like maybe 14 or so. Um, and that's when they started like going to church, and you know that's when maybe you know they eventually converted over to being Christian or whatever. But growing up, like I said, we were we were we watched everything under the sun, even inappropriate things you know unfortunately um and so like my parents they were movie buffs and like they you know you, you in a lot of black households you know how it is like basically um you know the parents my grandparents maybe went to church and you know so my parents actually gleaned a little bit from them but they you know when they got on their own they wild out they didn't you know what i mean so they knew of church but you know, as far as being saved and, you know, making sure that we read the Bible and prayed and knew Jesus, it was none of that. Um, but they still had some morals because, um, and some standards too, because my daddy was in the military. And so, but how I actually came into my faith, faith is very interesting, man. I was, I was actually baptized at the age of 13, but I didn't really know what it was like to actually walk with Jesus until I was well into my teens, like maybe 17 or so. And I will say that to say this, my wife, Nikki, uh, was very instrumental in that because, <laughs> man, listen, it's a long story. Long story short, I was in the church, but church wasn't in me. I'll say that. Now, my wife was born, basically almost born and raised in the church. I pre Can I just say, I appreciate that transparency and that answer. You said I was in the church, but the church wasn't in me. I understand that thoroughly. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Show enough, bro. Show enough. And that's how it was. And so she had been going to church. She was too. And like, and, you know, because I don't want to, and I really want to give her credit and, and the grace of God credit because, you know, there'll be people who grew up in a church, but um, that don't mean that they really walking with them. But for whatever reason, I praise God that my wife was actually serious about her faith at a very young age. And <laughs> now, that actually went to play to my detriment low key when we first met because I was still in the world. And so like, and my wife is, is not advanced, you know, and she's not experimenting around with anything. She's not sexually active and all that other stuff. That wasn't the boy, your boy's testimony. All right. That wasn't your boy's testimony. So when I stepped to her, I met her at a national Baptist convention. Um, I approached her like she was someone in the world because I was in the world. All right. And so long story short, uh, she basically told me, you know, a year later um, that she was not interested in me because I didn't know Jesus or whatever. And so like long story short, man, 
um, that really hit me hard, and it really made me made me question: Was I really walking with Jesus, or was I just somebody who just simply went to church? And we're like kids still. I'm like I'm like 17 at this point. And then so you know, one thing led to another. Me and my wife would just write back and forth, this, that, and the other. But um, it started off with maybe me, um, you know, trying to develop my relationship with God to the point to where um, I was trying to develop my relationship, but it wasn't to please my wife at my, you know, someone that I just knew at the time. Cause we weren't even, you know, dating the girlfriend, boyfriend, anything like that. But she sparked something in me to where I started wanting and desiring to have a relationship with God at that point. And I started, you know, praying and reading my word and just doing devotionals and spending time talking to him and things like that. And that's how I really stepped into my faith and my wife propelled me into that. And so I will say that to say this, man, um, (laughs) my wife is very intricate. She played a very, uh, heavy part in, uh, you know, me being saved today. And that just shows you the difference between being raised in the North and raised in the South. My wife is from Ohio and up there in the North, man, um, it's different from in the South or in the Bible belt, um, to where, um, it's just a foregone conclusion that, you know, Jesus, but up there, it doesn't pay play to your benefit to know Jesus. Um, it's actually the opposite to be honest with you down here. If you, you, if you say you don't know Jesus or you don't go to church, uh, Like you got two heads between church and state. Uh, don't say the name of Jesus in school. So it doesn't play to your benefit to be a Christian up there. And so what I, I said it to say this up there, you more so have to be a Christian on purpose rather than default. As opposed to down here in the South, it's Christian by default. And everybody thinks you're all good. And that's how people skate by. And people don't even know Jesus, but they think you know Jesus just because you know how to open a door for a woman. So. Yeah, so anyways, that's how I got into my faith, is. Gotcha, gotcha. I can understand that to some degree, um, especially, and I mean, you can kind of look at that as far as, like, growing up in certain areas, but then having to kind of be set apart by the fruit that you bear. Like, for me, I grew up, like, I would say, like, so I have, like, a similar to, like, different experience to you growing up. I have the, I was around church people, and I was around people that went to church. However, like, I feel like to some degree, like, because I, I had like a, I guess like my spirit knew when there was like a religious spirit around me very early. I was like, mm, this ain't it. I don't know what y'all trying to show me on Sundays, but, uh, this, 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 this ain't it. You know what I'm saying? And I think like my body knew very early, like, this is not what Christ is supposed to be like. And so once I started actually stepping into my faith, it was like, oh, this is what that set apart thing is talking about because then when i start to engage like even like my um my family members and like other people that i went to school with that claim to be christians it was like oh so not so much that i'm like i'm closer to the real thing but i'm actually christian by um i'm actually doing this christian thing the right way because i'm choosing to live it opposed to act it if that makes sense yeah yeah it makes sense total sense so it, it just it's just really I just really appreciate my wife. First of all, I love the fact that she's my wife. Praise God. 
<laughs> Secondly, uh, but well, most importantly, I appreciate the fact that she cared enough about me to even point me to Jesus. And if I wasn't going to be with Jesus, she wasn't rocking with me. So now uh, we'll be celebrating 18 years of marriage in the month of August, which is next month. And we have three children together, and that's all by the grace of God. But it would not have been uh, had your boy not pivoted and, and Christ did a 180 in his life because uh, she wouldn't have had nothing to do with me. She would have been straight up like. Exactly. So, yo. That, that's hilarious. Hey, yo. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, that's. um. That's beautiful to say the least. And also, you know, I think like people don't recognize like the challenge that comes with that. What is that like, especially now you're raising your kids in Texas. What is it like, say, raising black children in Texas while trying to steward and nurture their faith and their blackness simultaneously? Wow, man. Like that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I will say this, man. Here in the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth, man, we got about 8 million people here. And so just in this Metroplex, about 8 million people. And there's 400 people to move to this area every day, 400 people. So um, that's a lot of people. All right. So there's a lot of people primarily from the South. Um, and then there's people from all, there's moved from all over New York, D.C., Baltimore, um, you know, Detroit, you know, shout out to the other D-Town up north where, don't nobody want to move to um people are moving here from chicago especially california all over and so like um we're very insulated here um in dallas all right um and so to raise our children here on especially on the side of the metroplex we're in which is predominantly african-american and brown communities uh it's pretty cool it's not really you don't really feel that challenge, so to speak. But I do know people who live outside of the Metroplex or live in areas within the Metroplex that are not as diverse, diverse, if you will. And they talk about the challenges they experience. And, you know, uh, the assumption that if something goes wrong, you got to point to the to the to the Gentile darkie, so to speak, like he's the one that did it. Um just just um but 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 even even i don't want to get too comfortable i never me and my wife will never get too comfortable with being uh in this space of the metroplex because we still need to make sure that we raise our children to um to conduct themselves in a way to where they don't give anybody a reason to stop them for anything or to suspect them of anything and when they get to driving to pull them over anything like we we teach our children not to wear hoods in the in the grocery store not to have your hands in your pocket in the grocery store um because we're just not going to be afforded that luxury to, or that benefit of the doubt to say you know what the young man just wants to have his hands in his pocket now mm -mm, get your hands out your pocket um you know, these are some of the liberties that you are not going to be afforded, which is okay. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm fine. You no, know, it is what it is at this point, but it won't be because the daddy and the mama didn't teach them. That's what you ain't gonna be able to say. Well, you know, you know, Jermaine and Nicole, they didn't raise their kids to da 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 da. No, my kids are gonna be equipped to conduct themselves in any setting, and um, to just not be 
sitting up there like boo boo the fool like you don't know what the temperature of the room is when you step up in that mud you right. hear what i'm saying yeah oh, it's yeah. um i don't know if you ever seen the the show all american on cw and you know the main character one of the main characters name he's he goes by coach billy baker he has a son by this white woman um his wife and you know he has very even though he's black he has a lot of eurocentric features hair is a little bit more looser and everything like that so he got pulled over somewhere in like i think they were in i think they were in beverly hills i believe um his teammate spencer is from crenshaw so you know we talk about like we talking like crenshaw and beverly hills the dichotomy between the two is ridiculous and like there's this one scene where like yo gets pulled over and he's just like he gets out the car goes to the police officer he's like hey officer like what what's the problem like is everything okay like do you know who my dad is and like this man is six foot four and like for me even though i was watching this i got super anxious i was like um what are you doing and showed up when um his uh his teammate when his teammate like pulled up his coach he's like why he said yo why don't you tell uh jordan he said why don't you tell jordan how to conduct himself near the cops like i got that talk when i was like five years old and his um his dad said i didn't think we would have to have that conversation because i thought because of how he grew up that wouldn't have been an issue so um i definitely get what you mean as far as like being irresponsible in what you leave your kids with um, because that could be really, really bad, especially when they look like us. Yeah, man, for for sure. And and honest with you, I, to be honest with you, that's a little bit of the disappointment that I have in today's society. Um, is that we haven't progressed as much. Now we made some progression. I'm I'm gonna keep it real, but but we haven't progressed in, in especially in certain sectors or certain corners of the country as much as I would like to see that we have progressed. Like for instance, I saw or experienced some type of racism as a kid, but I would always be, you know, down here in the South, especially in Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana too. Um, we have something called sundown towns. I don't know if you ever heard of that sundown towns. And basically um, those are the towns you don't want to get caught outside after dark in those towns. So um, we have sundown downtowns. And so, um, you know, we were always taught as kids, um, you know, don't let the streetlights catch you. And it wasn't that our parents didn't trust us when the streetlights came on. It was don't be outside after dark. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so because you're all, it's automatically going to be assumed that you're doing something wrong, so to speak, or, you know, danger lurks. Or whatever so they would be like no don't, you ain't playing outside at the dark or whatever and so and i was like dog man like and so i would always hope for the day like man my kids ain't gonna have to worry about this my that's what we thought as kids but fast forward hey it is <laughs> just the same or worse um i would say it's the same it's just more is caught on camera now so you know, I don't want to get into, you know, all the racism stuff too much or whatever, but that is one of the disappointments I have is that I still have to teach my kids. And, you know, uh, a lot of the black families and brown families, families, so to speak, uh, have to talk about, um, you know, have to have that talk with their children, you know, what to do if you pulled over by the police. My kids, kids are not old.
enough for to, to drive. Like for instance, you know, um, you know, I, I got, you know, I was on a freeway. I was going a little bit over the speed, just a little bit. God didn't give me no ticket or nothing like that. But we are, they already, already, they already know the drill to, we got to make sure that we keep our hands visible. Our children put our hand, their hands on the back of the seat of the, of the driver's seat and the passenger seat. Um, we put our hands on the dash. We roll down all the windows. I don't care if it's 110 degrees or it is 20 degrees. We roll down all the windows and all the other stuff. Don't make it, you know, cause we don't want any assumption that anything malice is going on. Uh, we'll already have the, we don't need license of registration in the state of Texas. And if anybody ever pulls you over and says license of registration for the, you know, in the state of Texas, they're not a real police officer. But anyways, they have been taught already. And my kids are my, you know, my, our youngest is six. We got a eight year old daughter and an 11 year old son. And so, but they've known that drill for the last four years. So, yeah. So it's a little disappointing, like I said, and, and we have good, we have good, well-to-do people too that are, you know, Caucasian. You know, I got my brother in the chat, uh, Ryan Adams, you know, he's in the chat, the good brother in the faith, you know? So, and, and it's bad because, you know, you don't want to paint a whole sector of people with a broad brush, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, you always had to be leery of those, you know, who don't like you as opposed to the ones and I, I wish we could have more brothers like Ryan, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So anyway, so like, I feel that, um, can you, so we talked about this, um, one time on my channel. Um, and I feel like it's one of the biggest lies as far as that we've experienced as a people, when we're talking about our faith, um, that Christ does not look like us. Um, can you speak to about, can you speak to like how important that is when we're talking about the dignity of being, I would just say like, a just being like people that come from us and our ilk to know that like God look like, you know what I'm saying? Like God's son looks like you and where Christianity is not a white man's disease. Well, well, with that, you know, and I want to shout out to uh, brother Dre from um, from Harrison Family Values channel. Uh, he talks about the depiction of Christ being a being an idol, um, you know, and it's it's sad that a lot of the depictions that we have seen have been, you know, Europeanized um, to where it has to be a marketed Christ as opposed to what Christ really looked like. I will say this don't matter. Now, listen. <laughs> There's a lot for a lot of people, it doesn't matter what Christ looked like, but there's a heavy population that it does matter uh, what Christ looked like. Um, you know, it does matter. It, 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 it plays a huge factor in their belief or whatever. I listen, I understand full wholeheartedly that we just need to worry about his blood being red. Can his blood still save? Yes, we do. But we need to keep it a buck and understand the fact that I know that Jesus when he was born, he was taken to Egypt and so forth to hide away to the skies. All right. And, you know, people will make much of what the people in Egypt look like. You know, the people in Egypt back in those days actually were a little bit darker, a lot darker than what they are now. Um, but even with that being said, the whole point is he didn't look like whatever the depictions that we're seeing uh, in these steeples and these chapels and these stained glass windows. He didn't look like that. Um, however, we know, we know that history has to be rewritten and it has to be marketable to mainstream culture. 
And if he's not marketable to mainstream culture, then he won't be accepted. If he's not accepted, money doesn't come in. If money doesn't come in, churches close down. And so that's just like a in a nutshell, um, that, you know, how I want to explain that. We need to understand that the Bible was written not, hey, almost like how one pastor put it years ago. He was like, listen, the Bible, you know, when it concerning African-Americans, the, you don't need to look at the Bible like, oh, we're included too. No, uh, a lot of that, that is you. Um, the, the people that they're talking about, especially in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, those are people of color. All right. And so we need to understand that and we need to be able to uh, identify with that and understand, hey, listen, this isn't a um, this isn't a European religion. It's a it's a, you know, North African, Middle Eastern religion or whatever. But, you know, but, but I guess I don't want to get too caught up in this, but I want you all to understand this. And I don't know if I said this on your channel or not, but there's a reason why when African will there's a vast majority of Africans who knew about Christ before they ever stepped foot on the slave ship. All right. It wasn't like, um, we were just, we just started hearing about Christ when we arrived on the coast, um, of South Carolina and Georgia and, and, uh, Delaware, New Jersey and stuff like that. Um, that's not where we, that's not where we, learned about Christ. We know about Christ before then. Um, matter of fact, there was a uh, great, um, missionaries on, on the continent of Africa. Um, but the, the problem that we had is that a lot of us were taken from Western Africa and, and a lot of the gospel, um, much of the gospel had not reached Western Africa as much. Um, however, a lot of it was concentrated, concentrated in Eastern and Northeastern and Northern Africa. Uh, you know, some of it did get to Western um, Africa or whatever, but there was still enough of it to where a lot of us knew about Christ beforehand to the point to where we knew that the gospel that was being presented to us stateside here in America was not the real gospel, was not the real gospel. And since we knew that, um, I, I want to go into the difference between dignified and undignified church. Um it will be on some, this is why Sunday services, night services in African-American church are so big or were so big at one point in time, because night services was when we could have the undignified church, the uncontrolled church. So like during the day, um, you know, we would have the temperate church, the, the controlled church and the sermons that were being preached were the the sermons that were allowed to be preached to us and things like that and we were very dignified and under control but what happened is the the slaves that knew better they were still away uh on sunday evening and they were wet sheets they were wet blankets y'all can look this up they were wet blankets all right and they would take those wet blankets and they would string them on trees or whatever to kind of make like a box so to speak all right so they could go worship Jesus the way that they wanted to with dancing, screaming, shouting, running. And the full gospel was preached. The, the whole gospel was preached. All right. And they would do that. The reason why they wet the sheets for y'all that uh, if it's not registering with you or you don't understand it, but wet the sheets so the sound would not go out. So they would create a sound barrier. All right. 
So they knew about the real Jesus. They knew about the real Bible before um, they even stepped foot on American soil. So that just goes to show you it's not a white man's religion. It's a people religion means for all people, all people. Absolutely. And also, I think the one thing to also recognize that like we because just because it may have came from a certain area and it may be predominant in this country that we don't necessarily have a right to like legislate morality, but give it as an invitation or offering to people. I always found that to be more beautiful than, um, you know, people on people on like side of the road or like, like, bro, I'm in check. I'm in, like, I know Jesus. I'm in checkout at like food line. I'm not really trying to have you bother me unless you try to pay for my groceries right here and right then and now personally. But I've always appreciated when people allow the Holy Spirit to na help them navigate through these spaces. And they are, yes, you can be brash and bold in your faith and unapologetic. Or you could also minister to people as gentle as a dove, you know what I'm saying? And just gently, and I say gently, yeah. gently, yeah. just yeah. let, just brush by them and just be like, hi. I, I operate off of the frequency of Yahshua the King, you know what I'm saying? And I just wanted to tell you about him real quick. And if you do, if people, you know, vehemently rejected or categorically, emphatically rejected, then that's fine. But don't try to put the clothes on them, you know what I'm saying? and let them know that the clothes are for them if they wanted to put them on. I've always found that and admired that um, with some of the people I've been able to do life with that, yes, that they found their identity in Christ, but they don't allow their identity in Christ to become something that is indeed religious, more relational um, and personable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that, that makes total sense, man. So. I, I get it. I think I think that um, we we definitely there's a there's a fine line because you definitely you know want to be uh, you need to be loving you need to season your words with love and grace when you're communicating. So that's what I think is really dope and germane about our Christianity, our our, our following of Jesus, if if you will. So so yeah. Sure, for sure. Um, one thing I'm curious about um, for yourself, because I, I spoke about this and I recognize I haven't really asked too many people this, especially those that identify as disciples of Christ. What um, I, I talked to them about, like, for instance, like I asked you about like your testimony, um, but I'm, I don't think I unless it's in your catalog somewhere in your content that you spoke on this. Um, and I am curious because I think to some degree, we're all still kind of feeling this shock in our system uh when we're talking about the american church um uh, more specifically when we talk about the pandemic you know uh, about february of you know 2020 comes and everything we know to what it's like to being a disciple of christ church being able to um share spaces with people to have fellowship with one another drastically changes when we're all home downloading zoom um mm and having to now navigate as a disciple being in community with people but not being able to be around them um and have a more intimate approach can you talk to me if there was a shift or a struggle or have you with your faith with the pandemic kicking off what that was like for you how did you make it through it and 
I guess like just speak to like that experience of not having I guess like not just having church and trying to find church within like your own home if that makes sense yeah man so listen we we stayed away from like gathering in the church building for well because they didn't have it for a long time they didn't have it open to the public um but we stayed away for uh, what is it a little bit more than a year and during that time we had to this is why it's so important um to actually know jesus and actually disciple your children for yourself because i think a lot of people make this assumption that um that the church is supposed to uh foster a a a relationship with jesus and the church is supposed to teach your children about jesus and the church is supposed to teach you about jesus and that's true to some extent however the church is not responsible for give for for teaching your children about the ways of christ they will partner with you they will partner with you and come alongside of you to kind of reaffirm or, or you know uh some of those things that you try to teach them but that's not their responsibility they're just a partner with you basically amen everything that you are trying to instill in your child and i say that it's to say that, this um it's that cruelty like charity begins at home if it's not fostered and cultivated at home it don't matter who come alongside trying to steward that if it ain't started at home it don't matter <laughs> it don't matter who come along with it ain't gonna be as natural you're basically saying yeah yeah exactly man and so like listen we could have just fell off the map we could have just been like you know what man we can't go to church oh man i don't know about this jesus thing right but no mm -mm, because we know we know who redeemed us we know who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light we know the one who called us to do a 180 we're headed one direction and one trajectory now we did a 180 we didn't pivot it and going in another direction that's who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light and so like we know him and we know he's not confined confined to a building and we understood full well years ago decades ago that the church is not a building the church is simply an edifice we are the church and so it was it was we were adamant we were like listen we gonna all get up on sunday morning we all gonna watch this church we're all gonna clap our hands we're gonna sing along with the songs we're going to participate in worship even though we're not there and so that was that was um that was very interesting um because you know no matter what you try to do at home it's still not the same it's still not the same however what it did do is it it taught us to appreciate what we had and so then when when everything came back to normal or whatever so to speak as normal as whatever it is or you know to a certain extent um you know we really appreciate being able to gather with other believers and um so yeah yeah man so like you know i can't say that oh well COVID itself is a blessing but i can say that i believe in romans 8 28 which um which says that you know all things are uh, excuse me all things work together for the good of them who love god and to those who are the called according to his purpose and he kind of used that to kind of prune a lot of stuff out and and listen we honestly took we took our our christianity our our relationship with jesus serious before but like it even 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 now even more so now we take it even more seriously 
because we're like, you know what? People, time is filled with swift transition. People are passing away left and right. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And it honestly helped the, to kind of prune the church or whatever, a little bit to like the people who are really seeking Jesus. Those are the ones who are there. Those are the ones who are still coming. Those are the ones when it's not as flashy, when it's not as lit as it maybe was before the pandemic. You know what I mean? And so like, you know, this is where you really see who really about that action. Who's really about that action when, 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 the, when, the, when, the, when the dust settles, when the stuff hits the fan, who is still holding on to that bloodstained banner, man? And so, you know, we, we can look back on these COVID years. Me and my wife, we always say, you know, these are going to be considered the COVID years. And uh, we'll be able to look back um, on these years and, and praise God that we'll be on the right side of history as opposed to the wrong, if you will. Um, one thing that you spoke on on my channel, um, the importance that we need to uh, recognize and something that we need to do, I think it's like a lost trade within like the American church. Um, and I would just say like as disciples as well is lamenting like how important during this time being able to properly lament um, during this time. First off, for those that are at home and don't know what la lamenting is, can you break that down for what lamenting means and what you meant about that when you talk about how we need to properly lament um, and how necessary it is um, while dealing through this time period? Yeah, man. Um, well, lamenting means to to basically take a, take a period of time to actually feel feel the weight of the of of the of of the time or actually feel the um the sorrow or the i don't know i don't know i don't have the definition right in front of me but to take time to pause and feel the feel the emotions that you need to feel uh in these dark times or in these times where it may be uh painful where people are you know people are losing loved ones we need to pause and basically i'll use it in that sense lament on that that means meditate on it think about how weighty that might be um you know the bible says that we are supposed to mourn with those that mourn um have you taken time to mourn with those who have lost loved ones in this time period of this of this pandemic have you have you taken time to actually ponder enough and to um to 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 elaborate enough mentally mentally um to where you can just take time to say you know what this is really tough and i'm really i really need to take in the full weight of what is going on we heard the numbers we heard the numbers like oh well, you know such and such people this and many people died today and instead of just skipping off and like, oh, okay, wow, you know, that's that's really too bad. Okay, on to the next. No, no, actually, pause, pause, and and think about this. You know, we you know we we live five four and a half hours away from Udalvi, uh, I mean Uvalde, Texas. You know, which is right outside of San Antonio. We're in Dallas, and um, you know, so where you have what nineteen babies have been killed, twenty two or 21 people killed totally right or 21 to 22 people i think it was 19 babies that were killed gunned down and you could hear that and be like oh wow those babies lost their life no listen fam those babies lost their lives 
And and we shouldn't, we should pause and honestly feel a godly sorrow about that. Like, man, you know, this is really too bad. Like something has to be done. This needs to, this needs to fester in my spirit long enough to where I actually feel the weight of that. And it may provoke me to have enough compassion to do something differently from this point on. So, yeah. And one thing I think is important about that, too, it it sounds like what you're saying to some degree. um, Let me know if I'm uh, off base or on base, but just being in touch to like just not being out of touch of like what's happening and then like how like what is happening impacts a lot of people. Because as you said, you know, um, as I suffer, my father suffers, you know what I'm saying? He he feels the struggle and he feels this um, this divine sadness, I would just say um when i'm feeling what i'm feeling and i think of like even during this time like um the homeless population is like it's 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 sounds weird that we have a homeless population we have more homes in this country than we have homeless people but that's besides the point um and you know you see like many examples of the least of these those that are hurting those that are homeless those that are downtrodden um pardon my language bastardized to some to some extent and how we kind of miss Jesus with their sadness because you know with by acknowledging the least of these and their circumstances um and looking at them and looking at how they are you know to some extent less than in society's eyes when we don't acknowledge them we don't acknowledge Christ so i think that is it is properly i think it is important um you know appropriately because i feel like to some degree if you lament too long i have something that i've recently had to recognize feeling the weight of everything too long but not allowing yourself to move is dangerous but recognizing Mm -hmm. the imago day before you and how the imago day is impacted i feel like as a disciple of christ it's necessary for you to almost be connected to your faith to some degree oh yeah yeah man i mean you you definitely can't i wouldn't say lament yourself into a depression um, but you, you definitely need to pause and think about it. And then, okay, from that point on, how is this going to impact the way I maneuver through the streets? You know, how is this going to impact the way I govern myself as a Christian, as a Christian man in this world? So, so yeah, so I, I think that there has to be a, there's a, there, you know, there's a time and a season to everything. And so, I just think that we are not given the proper lamentations, if you will, uh, to the things that we need to, you know, um, in a in a society or a culture that's always worried about self and gimme, gimme, gimme. So, yeah. So recently on, I think it was on Instagram, you had posted something that said, um, here's the thing, black men don't cry. Not because they don't want to, but because they're not given the space to be vulnerable with a good population of their woman. Um, I know you spoke heavily on this particular subject, talking about, you know, the we'll call it Slapgate with uh, the Will Smith and Chris Rock scenario. Um, but I want you to kind of like dive in on what the importance of, and just saying like men in general, but if you could speak to your own experience, um, even to the importance of having a space to feel your emotions as a man in this society um 
and how beneficial that could be when given that, but how detrimental that could be when it's withheld from you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for uh, referencing that, bro. I'm going to tell you this. Um, it is very detrimental to any man um, to be able to give to be given that space. Um, and when you don't give me in that space, you know, bad things can happen um, within the African-American population. I will say this um, by and large, we're not given that space. Um, a lot of people want to be PC and say on social media and say things on certain platforms, Hey, how they would view a man that's crying or whatever, how I meant, you know, how they view a man that actually has to cry, but behind closed doors or something like that, you know, those same people. And I forgot some of the videos that I saw, um, those same people, they really wouldn't, that's not what they desire. And I, you know, I've seen it, you know, firsthand from some people say, you know, they don't want men that, you know, they don't want no punk. And it's like, if showing an emotion makes you a punk, then, you know, I guess we all punks because it's a God given emotion that we're all given and it manifests itself through our tear ducts. All right. Um, we, we need to be able to cry. We need to be able to cry about certain things because if we don't release certain things, um, pressure burst pipes. And when pipes burst, bad things happen. Um, we have to be able to have a safe landing space to unpack or land some of these things that we're dealing with. Um, it's hard, you know, when you have to fight like hell to make a living in society and then you're not given the space to actually unpack that and actually um say you know what dang man this is just hard this is tough this is heavy this is weighty this is what i'm dealing with you know even when it comes to just talking about your feelings and stuff like that, some women may frown on that but they really don't want you to cry and it's it's funny because we're we're, we're especially within the black culture um, with a lot of our women, we're 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 made out to be Frankenstein's monsters. Because on one hand, like I said in the post, you want us to be empathetic, you want us to be gentle, you want us to be loving and understanding and sentimental and all of those things on one hand, but yet when we when we have to cry just because of some of the weight that we're under, or some of the losses we may have experienced, or some of the pressure that we're under. It's like, well, you know, I don't want no punk. I can't have no punks. And it's like, yo, I'm not a punk. I just happen to be dealing with something that is very heavy. And if I don't let this out, I might control or delete myself off the face of this planet. I might go run and do something reckless with somebody I ain't got no business doing. Y'all, you know what I'm saying? It, I don't, you know. I might go hurt myself. I might go hurt somebody else. I might just snap and spaz out because I have no release and I'm not given an, an area or a space with my woman to actually release and let those feelings out. Now, if you look at other populations and other demographics, they're given that space. They're given that understanding by the women. But my challenge to um, you know, black women in particular is to make sure that you give that space, that same understanding that you give everybody else. Make sure you give that to your black brother because he needs it too. 
All these other cultures get it. Asians, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, white, all of them get that space. And how are they doing? How are they doing? Just, 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 just food for thought. But it is very important that we're given that space. We have to be given that space. Also, I think like to some degree, um, when we're talking about just giving the space to, I mean, like it's a human, it's a humanistic, like, I would say like a, when you say it's a privilege, it's a birthright to just be able to occupy in a space to like in a very healthy manner, just navigate through that. I think that's super, super important. Um, so I feel that for sure. Um, you went black, right? You good over there, dog? And you went black on, on my screen. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just making sure that I change out my battery so I don't die on you. Oh, okay, okay. Oh man, you supposed to put the uh you supposed to get the, the 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 dummy battery in your camera so it don't we don't got no issues. That's funny. Oh really? That's some funny, funny stuff. But yeah, man. Um so the people while you're getting yourself situated, the people can still hear you, so that's all that matters. Um even the the audio the audio folks when they get this later, they won't have to necessarily um be without. So all goody on that front. Um and up oh, he actually dropped out for a second. One second, guys. I'm waiting to get uh, Brother Jermaine back. He looks like... Oh, there he is. He just came back, y'all. Um, you good over there, dog? I know you're getting yourself situated. Yes, no? There, we in the green room. I didn't admit... I, this is interesting. This is very... Well, if you can hear me, I hope you can hear me. Um, while you're getting yourself situated, I think... I'm going to drop the intro again real quick while you get... They threw my ancestors in the ocean. Now we became the new wave, and we are about to drown this system. sure what exactly is going on over i think he's um i think he's trying to fix his uh he said he's changing out his battery um so while we get weighted while we uh get warm the space and keep the his chair warm how's everybody doing this evening well not evening afternoon my bad i'm so used to it being uh nighttime when i'm on this uh on this space so how's everybody doing today? Uh, let me know where you are watching this from. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying the conversation. Uh, let me know, let your boy know how we doing. Does the sound sound good? Do we sound clear? Is my is my pixelations pixelated and calibrated? You know what I'm saying? Um, while y'all getting that situated, I'm gonna not feel awkward and eat my food uh, while y'all, <laughs> while I wait for my brother to come on back here um, and wrap this up with him, you know what I'm saying? Up oh, there he is. This is funny. Are we good over there? I think you um think you muted dog. There you go. Okay, yeah, man. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, all good. Look, man, I was just telling you before we got started. Ain't nothing ain't nothing like having to readjust uh midstream. We all good over there. <laughs> 
as far right, as that right. goes, I was sitting over here asking the people how they doing. I'm, I'm like, yeah, let me eat my lunch a little bit while they uh let me know how they doing. Um, so it all worked out. I was over here like, I really am hungry, but I gotta uphold my part <laughs> in the conversation. And my stomach is talking through the microphone, so <laughs> it kind of worked yeah. out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, man, I got you. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm sorry about that. All goody, man. Look, look, man, it happens. This is a, this is a, this is a family show, and like sometimes, like I think um, I've, I've had it not with me before, but like I've had to jump up and like bounce my bounce my knees on my leg before. So there ain't nothing to uh <laughs> have to readjust midstream. This ain't nothing. For sure, for sure. I got you, man. I got you. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so one thing that I am curious about, um, because you've um I think you said that you do carpentry, accounting. Um, what made you want to like I guess like as far as this layer of your ministry, what made you want to like get into like the YouTube space, the um content creating space? Um, what made you want to step into that um that lane in your ministry, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, man. Well, listen, that was a call by the Lord about eight years, nine. Ooh, I keep saying eight years, but I'm just saying eight years for like two years now. So I want to say, man, about 10 years ago, my, the Lord actually put it on my heart that me and my wife, Nikki, we would be doing YouTube ministry. Just before everybody got like really on YouTube, um, like as far as like what Christian content and all that stuff. Now, I know that there were some out there at the time, but not like it is now. It's not like it is now, but however, he didn't give me that green light to start it until we got down here in Dallas, Texas. He told me that when we were still living in Ohio. And so, you know, he was telling me the things that he wanted me to do or wanted me to get, you know, me to do with that ministry, but he hadn't given me the green light to do it. And so it was in 2018 that he gave me that green light to do it. And so that's when we started it, man. And, and so really, um, you know, because honestly, being an associate minister, you, it it wasn't, you know, you get a chance to preach, but you don't, you don't preach as much as you maybe, it's not, it's not like you don't preach enough, so to speak, but I just know that I had more in me that I needed to get out. All right. And I needed another outlet, you know, for me and my wife to actually get some of these things out that we actually want to communicate to people because that's the heart behind why the reason why, the reason why we decided to. Uh, create this YouTube channel anyway, because we wanted to show Christians, uh, particularly more young Christians, that it is still possible to live for Jesus in 2020. Well, at that time, 2020, 18, or 2018, um, and just in today's time in general, you know, how do we, how do we, uh, we have topics and we have things that pop off in society all the time, but how do we navigate our minds around that and maneuver that as Christians, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, like for instance, you know, I'll talk about some hot topics. Uh, matter of fact, tomorrow I'll be talking about, um, Senator Tierra Mack from Rhode Island. I'll be talking about that tomorrow with me and my wife. We'll be talking about it at seven 15 uh, central standard time. Um, we'll be talking about that. What do we, what do we say to this, uh, being a Christian, you know what I mean? And so we'll talk about all the crazy stuff. Um, you know, with the, the baby mama and the McDonald's, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about why we need Jesus. Um, and it's funny because one of the things or one of the most disheartening things that I have seen, um, about being a Christian content creator in the space is that people's hearts are darker than what they let on. 
And the reason why I say that is because sometimes you'll get in your comments or you'll have people to say, hey, I want you to just preach Jesus, preach, preach Jesus and preach Jesus. But it'll be some of those heavy Jesus content, pieces of content that you produce, they don't watch. And they actually just, they watch more of the juicy things like the stuff we're going to talk about uh, tomorrow, the stuff we talked about earlier this week, um, all that other stuff. That's what they, excuse me, that's what they run to. But then when I when I make a sermon as to why you need Jesus or, or make a video on why you need Jesus, it's almost like crickets. And it's like, wow, like, I, you know, so, so seeing the heart behind um, some of the people who, who say they love Jesus um, or who just understand that everything isn't what it, what it seems or whatever. But you know, the reason why to answer your question, why we created uh, the channel is like, is is exactly what I said. Um, So people can understand that they can still be Christians. Even in today's time, God called us to be faithful. He didn't say until 2018. He didn't say till 2022, he called us to be faithful. And that's what we need to be. So y'all, um, I think the cool thing about that too is like, I feel like to some degree why I was, it was so difficult for me to want to cling to my salvation or a, some sense of a higher power is because I was like, I don't think my faith fits in this. Meaning like, I don't know if, what can my faith attribute to this? When it's like, it's not so much about my faith attributing to like every circumstance, but like my faith being a reason how I respond to the things that are happening around me. And I found that once it came a sense of, I want to call it like heavenly, like practicality, it seemed a little bit more real where it was like, we can talk about like, oh, like, you know, we don't talk about sex in church. We could talk about like, um, we could talk about like the real life conversations when we talk about like mental health. We can have these conversations in these deep, impactful, um conversations that everybody else gets to have like those that aren't even christians like they can have and i think like you know especially when we live in a fallen world why not us participate in these conversations but just not have the same stances you know what i'm saying so that's being in the world but not of it and i think that when we don't lend a voice to these circumstances especially for our kids man they gonna get educated it's just a matter of who who do you want educating them? You know what I'm saying? So I think it's I think it's dope that like you and your wife have been able to like create a space in which that it's just like we are going to talk about good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, but we're gonna keep it we're gonna keep it Christly, you know what I'm saying? Not churchy, but Christly. Um Christly. as far as how to respond to it. So I've always admired that. Um, you know, I pop in every once in a while and I like whether it's live, sometimes I'll have to catch them when it's later. But I've always appreciated this not only the stances that you guys have taken, especially as being disciples, but not being afraid to touch these subjects because my savior was more than fearless to touch these subjects, touch these people and speak to these people. Why not we speak to the things that are happening um in these circumstances? So just wanted to give yeah. you a flop. Just wanted to give you your flowers real quick. Let you know, like I see you, I see you, and I appreciate this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, because it, it it is it. You know, um, you know, I can be very polarizing. Uh, out of the two of us, I'm a very polarizing figure. Nikki is. Um, she says she says what she means, and she means what she says. 
Um, however, she's very, she could be very nice with it. Um, so to speak, um, me, I'm a very polarizing person. Uh, I say what I mean to me, what I say. Um, I, I am fully aware when I say something that, Hey, you know what? There's a good population that ain't going to rock with this. However, there's a good population that will rock with this. And for whatever, for every one person that can't rock with it, there's five more people that will. And so um, I just, you know, I don't know if this is, I, no, I don't know. I do know that this is uh, one of the, um, one of the, one of the um, trade-offs of being raised in by a military father is that, you know, he shot it straight. Um, there was no gray area because, you know, um, within life, you know, you can have some gray areas, but then there's some, there's a lot of areas where it's just, a, it's black and white cut and dry it is what it is and so um i learned uh, to um be held accountable um i learned that ain't nobody coming to save me and when i say anybody coming to save me meaning nobody in society is going to come save me from uh the burden of being a man i'm going to have to produce and i'm going to have to be a man ain't nobody coming to save me and i learned that at a young age if you don't work you don't eat all right. And that's a biblical principle. Right. And that's universal. That just that's just not just that don't just apply to Christians. That applies to everybody. You know, man don't work. You don't eat. All right. Now, some work may be easier than others, but if you don't work, you don't eat. All right. And um, but anyways, I learned to shoot it straight at a very young age and I'm still that same way. I learned to be consistent and be the same person wherever I is, wherever I am, whether you see me in church whether you see me at work, whether you see me in school, whether you see me at the mall, I am that same dude. I'm that same Jermaine because I believe it takes too much energy, far too much energy to, to do the switch up thing. Well, you know, I'm going to be this way, this here, and I'm going to be this way. No, you get the same Jermaine anytime you see him. So if you was to see me on the street, I'll be talking to you just like I am talking to you right now because I am that same person. But, um, but, but, you know, I forgot what I was going to say. But just basically um, being raised by a military father, being very, um, being polarizing. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Everybody's not going to like you. Um, you know, I have this little we thing. Act like, we act like Jesus wasn't like sarcastic or like kind of a jerk sometimes. Like he was, he was a man of peace, but man, like some of the things talk about if you mislead the youth it is better to dry, tie a millstone to your neck yeah. and throw it. That's not like you can't preach that on Sundays. No, <laughs> it's, that's not. You, you can't preach no. that on Sundays and ask for offering like that. Don't <laughs> that don't work like that? Calling the same, calling the same hedron and the and the Pharisees, you brutal vipers. That was John the Baptist that said that. I'm like, listen, yo, you brutal brutal vipers. You know that's so that's harsh. Um, uh, so to speak, and Jesus said, you know, when he when he got mad and started flipping over tables in the temple, started flipping over tables in the temples and said, that, you know, y'all made it a den of thieves. He, he called everybody to their face, thieves, you know, that they were thieves. So, um, so yeah, man. So I, I think that it is perfectly okay to be that way. Um, you know, I, I still season it with grace and in love, but my stance is still going to be my stance. I am who I am. And, um, you know, and there's a little moniker that I have going on on our channel um, of I really don't care because I, I really don't. Uh, I'm not I've never been a people pleaser. I never will start. I'm not going to start being a people pleaser now. 
Um, there's going to be some people that are offended by what you say, no matter what you what you say or how you say it. And to all those trolls or anybody else, I always say, if you're offended, I really don't care. And why I, the reason why I say that is because we were ridiculed um, for teaching our children the Bible. We were called sick. We were saying that we were poisoning our kids. We were, we were saying that we were brainwashing our children and that we should be reported and all this other stuff just because we were preaching and teaching them what, what thus says the Lord. And um, from that point on, my mentality was, you know what? This YouTube stuff is crazy. Like it can get wild. And you know what? This is what I got to say for all those people, for all the trolls or anybody else. If you're offended by what I do about what I say, I really don't care because at the end of the day, you're not going to be satisfied whether I say it this way or that way, because if I do it that way, then it's going to become your channel. And last I checked, you ain't paying no bills. I know that's right. Shoot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, brother, we're going we gonna to get you out of here soon. But, you know, we got to ask you with a couple of quick hitters um, as far as, like, you know, this is just for, like, you know, jovial, like, um, comedic purposes where we ask you, like, either words <laughs> and stuff like that. You ready for the quick hitters, my brother? I'm with you, bro. Rapid fire. Let's go. All right. Let's see. Um, Doritos or Pringles? Doritos all day. I grew up on Doritos. Matter of fact, I just had me some Doritos. I grew up on Dor Doritos all day. Gotcha. No. Any specific flavor though? Is it like what what flavor we rocking with? The 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 the, tra the traditional nacho cheese. Mm. Have you tried the um the sweet chili ones yet? You you ain't rock with those yet? And they they man that stuff just mess with your intestines. I ain't fooling with it. I just I, I don't know what that means. I'm 28, so like I don't really like I don't know what an intestine is just yet. <laughs> oh yeah, me and my wife we talked about that the other day. It was a little joke, man. Like. I am 40. My wife is 39. She'll be 40 here in, in a couple months. And uh, but yeah, your stuff starts changing. You you start realizing, you know, I can't eat as much spice as I used to. I can still do it, but I'm gonna know I'm gonna have to take me some tums, some something by bedtime. Rolades, Pepto Bismol, because <laughs> it just changes. It doesn't matter what your health condition is, man. Just your organs and all that, all that stuff changes when you start getting to like 38. Woo! And you were you're 29, right? 29 or 20, 30? 28, but you were just funny. Like, I was just telling um, my, my partner wants to switch switch to veganism. And I was like, where that Bible at? I don't know where we where we where where that's going to fit in in my spiritual plans. But, like, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it, that's, I don't know if I'm ready for that necessarily. But, yeah, so I'll let you know how that works out for me. I might have to like do like a legit daily vlog where it's just like day four of not loving myself, not having. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, listen, man, I'm gonna tell you this, especially athletes, man. A lot of them, uh, there's a lot of people who are vegan, but they're but they're like half, they're like eighty percent vegan, and the reason why is because they 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 learned that the athletes are getting more uh, knee knee and joint um, injuries. Because they don't have some of the, um, what is it? They don't have the minerals needed from some of the meaty substances that they would consume that allows lubrication of the joints, if you will. And yeah, so uh, honestly, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, and I look like I'd be the last one talking about who need to be vegan, who don't need to be. But I'm telling you, if you're gonna be vegan, you need better mix some of that some meat up in there somewhere so you can have some lubrication of those joints. 
because I, and then also too, vegans go to the hospital more than anybody else. I didn't realize that, but it was true. 